0: life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at uh1.com
1: today we're skirting around the major industry-wide issues that need addressing and instead focusing on the tiniest little irritants that make us all scratch our heads shrug our shoulders and let out a deep sigh of oh cool It's this horrible thing again. This is all done in the knowledge that we are picking holes for the sake of entertainment here so let's not take this too seriously. That said, I'm Cy for WhatCulture.com and these are 8 tiny things video games do that drive us crazy. Number 8. Unskippable and Unpausable Cutscenes Not to state the obvious, but video games aren't movies. As cinematic as they can be, a player's control is absolutely key. It's on us how we want to play a game and what to focus on. Maybe you don't care about the story or have simply seen it before and so when a familiar cutscene loads up you reach for the start button but nothing happens. It's a tale as old as cutscenes themselves. Thankfully, largely gone are the days of ineffectively slapping every input on your controller as you try in vain to bypass yet another viewing of something like Final Fantasy X's awkward laughter scene on subsequent playthroughs or after dying and loading a save. But this produces another problem. What if you're deep into a 25 minute political diatribe and need to go to the bathroom? Kojima and his team recognised the issues with their lengthy cutscenes in the Metal Gear Solid series and made it possible to pause midway through for MGS4. Best of all, not only could you pause mid-cutscene, you could then elect to skip it from here. This game came out in 2008 and we still haven't strictly made this the standard. If you reach out to pause a cutscene in games these days, you never know what you're going to get. A pause screen, nothing at all, or a sudden jump forward and you reaching for your phone to watch the cutscene on YouTube that you accidentally just skipped. So much in-gaming has become standardised these days, like controller shapes and multi-format software. Why can't every major game have pausable and skippable cutscenes? Number 7. Missable Items The main advantage to open-world games is exploring at your own pace. You can go in whatever direction you like at whatever time, and tackle tasks to depending on your mood. But this openness has to be scrutinized properly lest you raise the ire of gamers. If areas are only to be visited at certain times or just once, they better not contain anything that players might miss on their first run through. This is a problem with hundreds of games like Dragon's Dogma, Arkham Origins, Bloodborne, almost every game in the Final Fantasy series. But for a recent and particularly stinky example, let's take a look at Resident Evil 4 Remake. The game adapts plenty of more explorative elements over the original RE4, but is still strictly linear. There are certain points where the game stops you from returning to older areas, thankfully the mysterious merchant warns you about this with the all-too-transparent point-of-no-return stranger dialogue. However the real issue is that there are certain rooms that you can only visit once, after you're through you're not coming back. One of the most egregious examples is playing as the defenceless Ashley Graham, chased by sentient terrifying suits of armour where you can run right past your single opportunity to grab a particular treasure. There's also a gun on the wall that you assume you have to come back and grab as Leon later, but you need to interact with it as Ashley first to unlock it. Overlook these and you have to replay the whole game again if you want to get every last treasure because there's no chapter select. It's a great game, but is it worth doing another run just for one item because the developers put it in a stupid place? Number 6 Terrible UIs and Incremental Upgrades It feels a little cruel to pick on a game that's not even out yet, thanks to much needed delays, but the grand unveiling of Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League went down like a lead balloon with several smaller lead balloons attached to it. The most damning moment perhaps was opening the game's menu, which made it clear that it was part of the trend of homogenized video game UIs in the 2020s. It had columns of stats and numbers for weapons and equipment, as if tiny increments percentage increases make for an exciting upgrade. It's far from the only game that beats you over the head with this, but unfortunately was an ill-timed reveal. But in its defence it didn't have a mouse pointer on a console. Games like Cyberpunk, Destiny 2 and a bunch of Ubisoft titles go this route as it saves on dev time and works great for PC. On console it's clumsy at best and totally incongruous at worst. Pair this with the aforementioned storm of useless info and you're onto a real loser as you'll spend far too long looking at menus rather than playing the game. Cyberpunk 2077 should get some kind of award for its menu because it's just horrific to navigate and use, especially on console. There's so many pages that finding what you need early on is a nightmare, not to mention that it's filled with so much small text that it's hard to determine what's useful and what's not. For example, to make the game more realistic, you can basically pick up anything you find in Night City, but now your inventory is just totally trashed with legions of junk items. There's probably a point where realism needs a hard stop in the face of an enjoyable experience. Number 5. Bad Trophy and Achievement Lists Not everybody cares about getting that 1000G or platinum trophy until they're almost there. Even if you only casually look at what achievements a game might contain, there's something that sprouts in almost every gamer when you see that you've only got a couple left to get anyway. After all, if you've put enough time into a game then you might as well get absolutely everything out of it. A great example is Insomniac Games' Spider-Man Remastered, which has a 16.5% completion rate for its platinum. This doesn't sound like a lot at first, but when you consider that more than 1 in 10 players did everything the game had to offer, that is quite high indeed. Miles Morales, the game's follow-up however, has a much lesser 6% for its Be Yourself Platinum, largely because the trophy list also features a New Game Plus award. Sure, Morales is great and short, but opening up the trophy list and seeing that dusting off all the game has to offer requires a second playthrough will turn many gamers off from even attempting it. Thankfully, it doesn't contain multiplayer elements, because this is another trend that many games have suffered with for a long time. Red Dead Redemption, Uncharted, and some of the Assassin's Creed titles, for example, which are sold on their single-player experiences, contain multiplayer achievements that are largely left untouched and therefore Platinums that are on the rarer side. A few games have wisely taken players' frustrations with this on board and made completely separate lists for their New Game Plus and or multiplayer achievements so that players can have their cake and eat it too. Number four, scripted sequences disguised as gameplay. There are parts of video games where you are given the illusion of control, which in many cases is way worse than a more hardline split between gameplay and cutscene. After all, another obvious and thankfully less prominent complaint for this list could be quick time events. But how is it any different when you're being forced to hold forward to push your character through a flaming corridor when you could simply be watching? The idea is immersion, to feel your character's struggle. By pushing a stick though it doesn't feel like controlling your character, it feels like pushing the shy video game forward in a manner akin to Come on, let's just get to the next piece of gameplay, huh? This sort of thing rears its ugly head in a multitude of ways, for example the old walking and talking sequence. These were popular in earlier generations as a way to hide the loading of the next map segment, but now they just crop up in games for no reason. You'll be forced down to your slowest possible pace whilst two characters have a chin wag. Then again, is this better or worse than those moments where you have to walk alongside an NPC and your walk is too slow and your run is too fast? Yes, I can hear your t- teeth grinding from here dear viewer. Number 3 Uncomfortably Slow Text In this day and age there are a lot of debates to be had about performance and fidelity modes in games as well as graphical options to be tweaked. That's a topic for another day though as there are still games that miss incredibly obvious choices in their settings. This one isn't necessarily limited to but certainly goes out to fans of JRPGs which remains one of the few genres which often have reams of conversational text to read through as sometimes everything is not necessarily voice acted. Persona 5 is a fantastic example of doing things right as the game is over 100 hours long. Not only does it move by fast as is, if you ever wanted to play through the game more than once you can quite simply press the start button to fast forward all conversations up until the player is asked to make a dialogue choice. The game's script is thousands upon thousands of pages long and you can breeze through it if needs be. Pikmin 4, though not a JRPG, is a recent source of personal frustration. In its first few hours, as displayed by the the game's demo, there is a lot of waffling. Some of it is tutorials for the mechanics, but it's increased further by dialogue that is there to build the personalities of the cast. This is fine, but the fixed tech speed crawls along, which results in much mashing of the A button and wondering after the first two hours if you want to buy the full game at all. You can basically feel your brain in danger of turning into sludge before you finally get proper control of the experience. Number two, you are leaving the mission area. Am I? Am I really? Really, because I thought the entire point of your open world is that I could play the game however I like. Games with gigantic maps often sell themselves on this point. There's so much to see and do, and best of all to be approached however you like. Sandbox quite literally is supposed to mean that the player has control. You are supplied tools and told to use them however you like to maximise your enjoyment. It's kind of funny how many video games take place on islands or in valleys these days, just so players can be kept captive in the world without having a prompt that tells them they are leaving the map pop up. Let's face it, it's only slightly less immersion breaking, but it's when this prompt appears in a mission that really upsets the apple carts. If there are only a few specific ways to approach an objective, then aren't you just playing a linear game? What if you want to sneak around and come at this from a new angle? Maybe you want to grab a certain vehicle or a bit of equipment to create your own kind of mayhem? Instead you'll fail the mission for walking outside of the specific area denoted by your minimap. As a more general point, stop giving us so much potential and then reducing it down to a few specific carefully created toys at a time. I invested in this entire sandbox, not just one corner and then the next one and then the next one, and then the next one. Number one special editions that don't include the game. Currently, in gaming, there exists a divide between those that are more than happy to move into a digital library and those who cling helplessly onto the precious delight of unwrapping a game and putting it on their shelf. There are absolutely good arguments for both sides of the debate, so it seems a little unfair to make an entry that lambasts one side over the other. And additionally, it's probably way too big a topic for a video with this title. Surely, the point of digital, however, is that you don't want stuff in your house and the point of a special edition is that you want as much swag as possible. So why oh why are the most pricey versions of video games not even coming with a physical copy of the title itself and instead just a download code? It's become a worrying trend that special editions are swag bags of memorabilia, statues, steelbooks, and exclusive DLC, and no actual disc. From a publisher perspective, this cracks down, of course, on a consumer's choice to resell. It also scarily means that video game preservation moves into dark territory. What if the game you bought, for whatever reason, is taken off of digital storefronts? What if, in fact, the digital storefront is shut down forever? It may seem unthinkable now, but it probably also felt the same way during. days of the PSP, Vita, 3DS and Wii U stores before they shuttered for good, taking away the games that were exclusive to them. Outside of a glass cabinet of video game statuettes, nowadays collectors find themselves with a shelf that is starting to fill with empty steel books. Now this video is rather entitled, we know this, we're just picking tiny holes and sometimes it's fun to do that. And sometimes you can tell when a video game is going to suck. Click the video on screen now to watch our rundown on that. Don't forget to leave a comment down below on little things you hate about video games that tick you off. Make sure you like this video and subscribe. Head over to WhatCulture.com for more content every day. I've been Cypher, What Culture, and have a good week.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.